It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Friends, are you feeling down, a bit low, perhaps rather depressed? Well, Michelle Obama has some advice for you. Now, the former first lady has talked before about battling depression. She was on Stephen Colbert the other night, asked about it. Uh, Colbert was saying, well, a lot of people have been depressed this past year. Uh, How do you cope with it? She talked about being in valleys and turning off the noise. She said, this is a part of life. Nobody rides life on a high. And I think it's important for young people to know that. No, you're not going to feel great all the time. There are moments in all our lives, particularly in the middle of a pandemic and racial unrest, you're going to feel a, a kind of way about it. So give yourself a break. You know, it's always interesting when people who are very famous, very rich, people who say, oh, they must have it all. Uh, You find out, first of all, you find that their lives are not as advertised, but also if you find out that they have battled depression, this includes some uh, pretty prominent journalists, uh, it does make you think that, you know, just money, fame, celebrity, material goods and all that, you know, doesn't necessarily mean you're happy all the time. Uh, And people who don't have much money can certainly be more happy. It's just, you know, depression is a insidious disease. And obviously there are different levels of it. So it's interesting to hear Michelle Obama talk about this. Uh, You know, this soap opera involving The Bachelor just keeps taking weirder and weirder turns. Now, I don't know how many of you watch The Bachelor. I am not in that group, so I'm not up on all the nuances, but this is undeniably a news story. Uh, so Cotton Underwood, you may recall, about a month ago or so, went on Good Morning America. Uh, he was uh, the winner of The Bachelor, and he said, you know, I'm gay, I'm coming out as gay, and I'm, you know, fine, I don't care. Uh, although I did, I guess, raise a question about if he was gay while he was, you know, uh, on the show, and this woman was trying to, these women were trying to decide whether to date him, you know, was that uh, being fully transparent with the audience? Anyway, it now comes out from him, uh, Peace and Variety, in which uh, Cotton Underwood says that last year he was living in LA. He went to a spa known for catering a guy to a gay clientele. After that, he received an anonymous email, which Variety obtained from someone claimed to have taken his nude photos at the venue. He never saw the photos and explains he was just at a spa just to look, he says. Never should have been there, he says. And the unidentified author of this email threatened to out him in the press. So Cotton Underwood is saying he was blackmailed, and that's why he came out about his sexuality. Uh, Underwood forwarded the email to his publicist, uh, which forced him to have an honest conversation about his sexual orientation. Quote, I knew that out of anybody in my world, my publicist wasn't going to ruin me. Uh, now, this guy is no angel because I think the last time I talked about this, I mentioned that, you know, he became the boyfriend of Cassie Randolph. He dated for her for a year and a half after meeting her in The Bachelor. And then, according to court documents, she files a restraining order against him. This is uh, last September, alleging that he stalked her and placed a tracking device on her car. So forgive me if I have limited sympathy for him, but nobody should be the target of blackmail, get this kind of email. Um, But it does sort of cast the whole melodrama in a somewhat different light. All right, let me move on to story number one. Now, uh, you've probably heard a fair amount in recent days about gas shortages, particularly in the Southeast, but really all along the East Coast. Uh, I'm told that even here in Washington, D.C., where it's not as bad as, as in some other places, there were, there were a line of cars at midnight last night, people panicking, trying to get gas, putting gas in plastic bags. And the reason I bring all this up 
and this Washington Post headline brings it uh, into sharp relief, for me at least, is that once this happened, and obviously the cyber hacking that took place against the Colonial Pipeline, which runs from Texas all the way up to New York, and about 45% of East Coast oil is dependent on this pipeline. The cyber hacking is not the Biden administration's fault. The guy's been in office, what, you know, a bit more than 100 days. But the way the Biden administration handled this I didn't see any stories that said, you know, they're not communicating very well. Uh, they're telling people not to worry, but there is a lot of reason to worry. Uh, if Donald Trump had been in office, there would have been all over the television, huge pictures of gas lines. Trump is to blame for this. What is he doing about it? Why doesn't he care that people are paying higher gas prices? Uh, how did he allow this cyber hacking attack to happen? And there was almost none of that. I'm sure somebody can point to a story or two. But in today's Washington Post headline, Biden administration struggles to limit political damage from gas shortage. Except we didn't hear about the political damage until now. So what happened is the political damage, because if there's one thing that pisses people off, is they can't get enough gas for their car. Um, if there's one thing that's forced the media to say, hey, maybe they have not handled this well, it's the fact that many people are angry about this. So now this political damage, but it just shows you how the press often looks at things from the administration's point of view. Well, the administration is struggling to limit the political damage. Not that there is political damage, not that there should be political damage. And by the way, this happens when you're president. Was it Barack Obama's fault that we had the giant, massive, gargantuan BP oil spill? No, of course not. Uh, although, you know, later you get commissions and committees that look into it and was there, you know, enough, was the regulations and the oversight strict enough. But did President Obama take a giant hit for struggling to come up with a solution, uh, whether it was the company's fault or not? Yeah, absolutely. Did Donald Trump cause COVID-19? No. Did he take a huge, giant political hit? I think it probably cost him a second term for the way that he and his White House responded to it? Absolutely. So the Post story says President Biden has struggled this week to contain an escalating gas shortage in the Southeast, prompting Republicans to open a new line of attack against him. As if it, Now look, is that political? Of course. Would Democrats be opening an attack against President Trump if this happened yet, last year? Of course. But it's not only a Republican attack. There's a reality to it. Uh, Republicans in Congress are seizing on Biden's move to transition away from fossil fuels, saying it imperils the country's energy security. Whether that's true or not, it doesn't have anything to do with this particular pipeline cyber hacking. On Fox News, conservative hosts have blamed the president for rising prices at the pump and long lines of cars snaking around gas stations, with one dubbing it Biden's gas crisis. Okay, would you not have seen headlines about Trump's gas crisis if this had happened in 2020 or 2019 or 2018? Um, again, this is sort of blaming the messenger. It, did certain conservative hosts try to capitalize on this? Probably. But should Fox News not be covering it? Should everybody not be covering it? People could not get gas. So uh, the story details how the Biden administration has put cabinet secretaries uh, on television to talk about this, including Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm, issued a flood of written updates. Um, Biden also issued an executive order uh, to crack down on cyber hacking. Uh, and now we see some light at the end of the pipeline tunnel. 
Colonial announcing plans. Uh, I guess it's actually starting to reopen today. Uh, this pipeline, not fully saying uh, the, the gas supplies will be back completely by Memorial Day. But that's a couple of weeks away. Um, the public relations battle, says the Post, underlines the strong belief in both major parties about how potent a political issue gas can become. And it talks about BP and, and other things uh, in past years. Um, now, people are really anxious to get on the road after a year of being locked down because of the pandemic. And some of them are having trouble. So here are some of the statistics, which makes me think, okay, you can't blame this story on Fox News. You can't blame the story on the Republicans. In North Carolina, 69% of gas stations uh, experienced fuel outages where you couldn't, you know, get gas at those stations. In Georgia, 46% of stations. In Virginia, more than half of gas stations. And I've heard that the North Carolina figure actually went up much higher, but this is according to the Post story. Um, now, were there mixed messages from people? Uh, Jen Psaki, the press secretary, uh, went on, uh, had the briefing on Monday. She said, at this point in time, I would just reiterate, we don't see a supply issue. Jennifer Granholm. Jennifer Granholm on Tuesday, making a similar point on the air. It's not that we have a gasoline shortage, it's that we have a supply crunch. And things will be back to normal soon. We're asking people not to hoard. Okay, you don't want to hear that we have a supply crunch when you live in an area where you can't get gas, which means you can't go places. Maybe you can't work. Maybe you're a trucker who has to, uh, you know, needs gasoline in order to do the job. Uh, and then by yesterday, Republicans were lining up. We really do need the federal government to step up, says Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, who is opening up an you know, emergency fuel supply. Um, some are beating up on the Biden administration for uh, canceling the Keystone Pipeline project. Um, Senator Marsha Blackburn brought that up as well. So my point is, whether it's the Biden administration's fault or not, it is a big political problem. So Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg um, went to the White House uh, yesterday, kicked off the media briefing by talking about all the steps they had taken. Officials are working around the clock. So now you get the impression they're at least taking it more seriously. You don't want to hear it's a supply crunch when you're getting crunched. It's as simple as that. Um, there will always be threats and vulnerabilities, said Democratic uh, Governor Roy Cooper in North Carolina. What you need is an administration that will step up and keep holding people's feet to the fire to get things fixed. So he's defending the administration, but of course he's got to speak out. I mean, all politics is local, right? That brings me to National Review, which is saying that progressives always believe the government, you know, should solve all our problems. But uh, on Monday, White House national security officials such as Ann Newberger, she's the deputy national security advisor, told reporters, what, what about uh, the ransom? You know, this member, this is this ransom group or it uses ransomware to try to get companies to pay up. Uh, what about if Colonial pays this ransom? Should Colonial pay the ransom? And the Deputy National Security Advisor said, typically that's a private sector decision. We recognize that victims of cyber attacks often face a very difficult situation and they have to just balance often the cost-benefit when they have no choice with regards to paying a ransom. Colonial is a private company and will defer information regarding their decision to them. Really? says National Review. Uh, the author says, I'm one of those guys who thinks government should do very little, especially the federal government. 
But in what universe is this primarily a private sector decision? In what universe does the Biden administration, which seems to pretty much want every aspect of American life to fall under the purview of the state, believe that ransom demands made against core energy infrastructure is outside of its purview? I just don't get it. And I think this guy has a point. If a person is kidnapped, the relevant authorities don't say, well, families are private, so I guess we'll just leave the cost-benefit balance to the parents. If a train or a boat is hijacked, the authorities don't say, well, you know, the operators are privately owned. I guess we'll just leave that up to them. They take over the response. So that was a real obvious misstep. All right, number two, Liz Cheney lost her House leadership vote officially yesterday. Is anybody not living in a cave or if you can't get gas and you can't, uh, get to a place that has electricity, uh, then you know that Congresswoman Cheney has been uh, kicked out of the leadership. Uh, this happened actually while I was doing the podcast yesterday. So here's a New York Times story about what she's done since then. Uh, she went down an escalator and said the party's going to come back stronger and I'm going to lead the effort to do it. An hour later, she went to her office to sit down with Savannah Guthrie. There's a sit down with Brett Baer, which you'll see on Fox News special report tonight. The message was unmistakable, says the Times. Her colleagues may have stripped Ms. Cheney of her post as chair of the House Republican Conference, but they have effectively handed her a new platform and a new role as the leader of the small band of anti-Trump Republicans. Now, I have a column uh, on the Fox website today about this. And I say, sure, she's the leader, but how big a movement is she leading? And can Lizism really stand up to the much more massive Trumpism when it comes to winning over Republicans? And I'm pretty skeptical about that. Now, Kevin McCarthy, who orchestrated this as minority leader, um, was successful in a narrow sense as the Times. He'll no longer have to contend with a member of his leadership team who continues to condemn Donald Trump and Trump's attempt to overturn the election. But in the Times' view, Republican lawmakers have created a host of new problems. They have underscored the grip that the increasingly unpopular Trump retains on their racks to moralize Republicans and independents who want to move on from his tenure and perhaps most significantly embolden a household name conservative to take her case against Trumpism far beyond a Capitol conference room. Uh, here's one Republican rep, Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. I don't think it's a healthy mo moment for the party. I do think it enhanced Liz's stature and position in a way that furthers her message, but to the disadvantage of the broader party. Now, it just so happens that Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell, along with Chuck and Nancy, were at the White House yesterday for the first meeting with leadership of both parties and President Biden. McCarthy came out on the White House lawn and said this, I don't think anybody is questioning the legitimacy of the presidential election. And this got a lot of attention because obviously, there. well, first of all, you've got the former president himself, but there are lots of people in his party questioning the legitimacy of the presidential election. Kevin McCarthy himself, after the January 6th riot at the Capitol, came out and blamed President Trump in part for the insurrection. Since then, he's, he, has, he hasn't so much walked it back as he's just kind of gone quiet on it. Well, we don't need to talk about that. Well, we want to move on. Um, and so the problem for the GOP, again, this is from the Times, how to accommodate a former president who's beloved by their core voters, more detested than ever among the broader electorate, and 
consumed with his defeat and campaign of retribution. So NBC News poll, this is last month, said Trump's favorability rating down to 32% among all voters, 14% among independents, but still very high among Republicans, if not quite at the 90-plus level. Uh, Meanwhile, what Liz Cheney said to her caucus, according to a source, is, if you want leaders who will enable and spread his destructive lies, I'm not your person. You have plenty of others to choose from. Uh, But I promise you this, after today, I will be leading the fight to restore our party and our nation to conservative principles. Uh, Meanwhile, you know, I kept, I keep getting bombarded with statements from Trump saying uh, the, the most stinging one was Liz Cheney is a horrible person. Horrible person, no personality, no heart, just goes on and on and on. So I mentioned on the podcast yesterday that there is a group of anti-Trump Republicans who are going to get a letter signed by a whole bunch of people And that's happened. And one of them was Christine Todd Whitman, former governor of Jersey, former EPA administrator. She was on television this morning saying we we have to take the Republican Party in a different direction. I was skeptical, just as I am, of how much clout Liz Cheney will prove to have in the end uh, about whether the people who are behind this effort really have much influence in the GOP at all. One of them is the former anonymous. This is Miles Taylor. He was a kind of a high-level functionary at Homeland Security. Uh, who wrote that piece for the New York Times, later outed himself or got outed, I can't even remember at this point. He is leading this effort. So what does Donald Trump say about that? A guy named Miles Taylor, who I have no idea who he is, don't ever remember ever meeting him or having a conversation with him, gets more publicity pretending he was in the inner circle of our administration when he definitely was not. Trump says some people refer to him as, quote, absolutely nothing. I hear he is on CNN and MSDNC all the time, but he had nothing to do with my decisions, and I wouldn't even know what he looks like. You think Trump is not too pleased with Miles Taylor? I'm kind of getting that impression. Don't go anywhere. More BuzzMeter coming your way in just a moment. So, number three. Political plays this up because it's got the exclusive. It's got the letter. It starts out a raft. That's right. You could put all these Republicans on a raft, and there'd be enough of them that they could float the raft and just sail down the Potomac River. A raft of influential progressive and environmental groups has a message for the Biden White House on efforts to cut an infrastructure deal with Republicans. Don't say we didn't warn you. They're sounding the alarms that compromising with Republicans on a scaled-down infrastructure bill and spending the time that such a deal might require could make it increasingly difficult to pass the rest of Biden's sweeping agenda. Here's John Podesta, founder of Center for American Progress, He was Barack Obama's chief of staff at one point. He worked in the Clinton White House. It's a risky strategy, he tells Politico. Um, He was the counselor to Barack Obama. Excuse me. Um, He and more than a dozen liberal leaders and groups signed a letter to White House and the Hill saying, act quickly on the $4 trillion infrastructure proposal. It's not just infrastructure, it's helping families and all that. And here's what the letter said, shared first with Politico. Those who argue for small-minded measures are on the wrong side of history. Um, They're urging Congress to use use reconciliation to get everything passed. But here's the problem here. Uh, The problem is that, and Biden talked about this, unless he can at least attempt to cut a deal with Republicans on infrastructure, knowing full well he'll only, if he gets anything, he'll get a piece of the package. And he said this on television with Lawrence O'Donnell on MSNBC last night. He said, you know, 
let's cut a deal if there's a deal to be had, and then let's let's do a deal on what we agree with, which would be called so-called hard infrastructure, you know, roads, tunnels, bridges, even broadband. Then I can come back and try to do everything else, and if I can't get Republicans on board for that, we do it with Democrats only through reconciliation. But the reason he can't do that right now is that two more moderate Democrats, Kirsten Sinema in Arizona and Joe Manchin in West Virginia, are saying they won't get on board unless President Biden tries everything he can to cut a deal, a bipartisan deal, with the Republicans. So he's got to go down that road and either cut some smaller deal and then fight for more federal spending, or convince Manchin and Cinema that I did everything I could, Republicans don't want, really want to play, it's all for show, and then they would perhaps vote with their party. So that's the reason uh, that this is going on. Interesting little note here on Biden, real quickly. Um, um, when Biden was uh, uh, yesterday at an event in the Oval Office, uh, the pool is there, and he took several questions from the pool on various subjects. At one point, the president said, you guys are bad. I'm not supposed to be answering all these questions. I'm supposed to leave, but I can't resist your questions. Well, this is interesting because Jen Psaki, uh, the other day on, uh, on uh, David Axelrod's podcast, you know, David Axelrod is with CNN and, of course, was a senior official in the Obama White House. Psaki said he takes questions nearly every day he's out from the press. That is not something we recommend. In fact, a lot of times we say, don't take questions. But he's going to do what he wants because he's the president of the United States. And it's interesting to me that Biden always feels the need to apologize. Okay, I guess I shouldn't be taking these questions. You're POTUS. You can do what you want. You can take questions. You can not take questions. I wish he would take more questions more often. I've made that perfectly clear. All right, number four. This is serious stuff here. Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene aggressively confronted AOC yesterday and accused her, falsely I might add, of supporting terrorists. And the reaction from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was to call on the congressional leadership to ensure that Capitol Hill remains a safe, civil place for all members and staff. Two Washington Post reporters witnessed uh, Ocasio-Cortez walk out of the House chamber yesterday afternoon ahead of Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia who shouted, hey, Alexandria, in an effort to get her attention. When AOC did not stop walking, Green picked up her pace and began shouting at her, asking why she supports Antifa uh, and Black Lives Matter, labeling them terrorist groups. Green also shouted that AOC was failing to defend her radical socialist beliefs by declining to publicly debate her. You don't care about the American people, Green shouted. Why do you support terrorists and Antifa? AOC did not stop. She only turned around once and kind of threw up her hands in the air in an exasperated motion. Uh, the reporters weren't close enough to hear what AOC actually said, if she said anything. Her spokeswoman, AOC spokeswoman, says, Congresswoman Green began screaming and called Rep. Ocasio-Cortez a terrorist sympathizer. We hope leadership and the Senate Ar- Ar- Sergeant at Arms excuse me, will take real steps to make Congress a safe civil place, especially as many offices are discussing reopening. Now, This is just acting like a troll. You know, like whether you like or don't like Marjorie Taylor Greene, she has done this before. She did it to the uh, Parkland High School student or former student, David Hogg, demanding that he debate her on gun control when he was uh, at the uh, Capitol Uh, earlier this year. um, Democratic Congresswoman Cori Bush uh, accused Greene and her staff of accosting her in a tunnel underneath the House office building as she asked 
Green to wear a mask out of concern for the health of my staff and other members. Green uh, denied the allocation, accused her of lying, of leading a terrorist mob because Bush supported BLM. And then Congresswoman Bush asked the Democratic leadership if she could move her office further away from Green. There's a lot of instances of this. So Marjorie Taylor Green, as you'll recall, for some of the crazy QAnon things she said, had the Republican leadership take away her committee assignments. So you could argue she didn't have much left to do. But this is conduct unbecoming a member of Congress. You know, if she wants to take on other members, whether it's Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or anybody else, she can go to the floor and give a speech. She can do an interview. She can hold a news conference. I'm not against members fighting with other members. That's fine. But when she's essentially stalking them, walking up to them, yelling at them, when she did the thing with um, the former Parkland student, David Hogg, she had, you know, people, her staff or allies of hers videotaping the thing in the hopes it would go viral. This is not how a member of Congress acts. And I think AOC is right to call her out. Again, I'm not getting involved in the substance. If you think uh, Ocasio-Cortez is a far-left liberal who should have to defend her positions, that's fine. You have many venues in which you can criticize her. Yelling at her and trying to walk away from you, it's like high school, folks. All right, number five. Ellen DeGeneres, you've heard the news by now. Next season is going to be the last season of her daytime talk show. After 19 seasons, she's going to call it quits. She went on the Today Show this morning, and she said this, of all the criticism that she has faced in the past, which led to an investigation by the parent company Warner Media. It was devastating. I am a kind person. I'm a person who likes to make people happy. Um, it's just not stopping. I read in the press that there's a toxic work environment, which I had no idea. I never saw anything that would even point to that. It's legitimate to ask how she didn't know about this. When Savannah Guthrie asked if she felt like she was being canceled, Ellen said, I really didn't understand it. I still don't understand it. It was too orchestrated. It was too coordinated. People get picked on, but for four months straight for me, and then for me to read in the press about a toxic work environment when all I've ever heard from every guest that comes on the show is what a happy atmosphere this is and what a happy place this is. She went on to say, I don't know how I could have known when there's 255 employees here, a lot of different buildings. Um, look, I think she should have known. I think that part is a little disingenuous, but I feel some sympathy for Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres also said to Savannah Guthrie, how can I be an example of strength and perseverance and power if I give up and run away? And so it really is one of the reasons I came back, meaning for the final season next fall. I work really hard on myself. And also, I have to say, if nobody else is saying it, it was really interesting because I'm a woman and it did feel very misogynistic. So she played that card as well. Now, before the appearance on NBC this morning, uh, she spoke at length uh, to The Hollywood Reporter. Some many interesting quotes in there, which I'll read a couple uh, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, this culture we're living in, and she was asked, you know, are you being canceled? Telling The Hollywood Reporter, this culture we're living in is one where no one can make mistakes. I don't want to generalize because there are some bad people out there and those people shouldn't work again. But in general, the culture today is where is one where you can't learn and grow, which is as human beings, which we're here to do. When it started with that stupid someone couldn't look me in the eye, or whatever that first thing was, it's like a crest of a wave. Like uh, she's thinking, this isn't going to be that big of a wave and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger until it was out of control. Ellen said she felt destroyed by the backlash. I'd be lying if I said it didn't. And it really makes me sad because there's so much joy out there. 
from negativity. It's a culture now where they're just mean people. And it's so foreign to me that people get joy out of that. And, you know, if you look at her career, uh, and she's a very popular figure. It was back in 1998, a lifetime ago politically, when her sitcom, Ellen, was canceled uh, just one year after she came out as gay. And it's hard to remember now in this era of uh, gay marriage and the way the culture has shifted. And and it's not really even that controversial anymore. I know some people are against it, but look, it's been accepted uh, for years now after that Supreme Court decision. It was a hard thing for a celebrity in those days. And even now, I guess, judging by the Bachelor episode that I talked about, to come out as gay. She did it. She owned it. And... Um, she became, became a bit of a lightning rod, and she lost her, her popular sitcom. And it was a long road back for Ellen. I mean, now we just think of Ellen. The first thing you think of is not she's gay. Yes, everyone knows she's gay, and she has a partner and all of that. That's fine. But at the time, it made, her, it made it harder for her to succeed in show business. So for her to get a talk show years later, turn it into a huge success for 18 years now, and become one of the most popular celebrities in America took some doing. So I can see why having that threatened by the allegations of a toxic workplace. And look, people didn't make this stuff up. Were there some mean people? Were there people out to get her? Sure. Um, But some of this just seemed like anti-Ellen forces trying to topple her. And maybe in a way they succeeded. She obviously has been wounded by this. She's going to do one more season. Uh, And I'm just saying, we got to look at the whole arc of her career to fully understand this. Once again, I appreciate your listening. It's nice that you tune in. You can subscribe at Apple iTunes and in other places. Stay safe. Uh, I didn't get a chance to mention that as of today, kids 12 to 15 can get the coronavirus. It's available in a lot of pharmacies across the country. That's a parental decision, but I think it would be a good thing if lots of kids got vaccinated before the school year started. We'll see you tomorrow with more BuzzFeed. 